Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Got an email from Carla who was commenting on the episode that I did about the Sausage King of Chicago, the guy who killed his wife in a uh, steam vat. Allegedly. The Sausage Factory, by the way, is uh, now condominiums. Oh, really? In Chicago, and Carla lives there. Oh, wow. Carla. She has said she- Do you ever go in the basement? Yeah, tell us what you can see. Ooh, go down and make some EVPs. That'd be cool. Yeah. She said in the email that uh, she had heard the story long before she ever moved in. So it didn't really creep her out when she when she bought the condo. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine not knowing that and buying the condo <laughs> and then finding out that uh, this guy in the 19th century boiled his wife in a sausage steam vat? Allegedly. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Carla. We appreciate that. That's always awesome when we hear stuff like that. It kind of puts a fine point on it. It uh, it makes it seem that much more real to me. Yeah. Well, Carla lives there. It blows my mind whenever someone can reach out and say, hey, yeah, I have firsthand experience with this thing that you guys talked about in your basement. It kind of reminds me like this community is is amazing and uh, knows a lot more about a lot of things than we do. <laughs> and apparently far-reaching. Did you see the post? Oh, well, I know you did. It was more of a rhetorical question. Uh, <laughs> Thank the, you. The post uh, in the Freaks group, uh, people wanting to know who is the farthest from Bangor, Maine, and people are posting like maps from where they are to our house, <laughs> pretty much. And uh, what was the farthest? Like, um, It was someplace in Australia, I believe. It's like 1,700 miles or something like that. Or, But there was like 200 responses. And I'm thinking, geez, we're going to have to go to the store and get some more beer. <laughs> yeah, we're all making maps to our house for sure. Well, I'm going first today. I do not like that weird pause. You paused and then looked at me and smiled. And I feel like that is like a threat. No, like it's, I, it's Something's not. happening. No, you'll enjoy this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Has a leading geneticist 
at the University of Oxford identified a real Yeti using DNA technology? Ooh. Well, it's complicated, but he believes he has. Oh, Yeti experts say yes? Well, this guy is is more than a Yeti expert. <laughs> He's a geneticist at the University of Oxford. All right, fine. He's pretty well thought of. Now, Yetis, of course, the first accounts of Yetis, according to the Daily Mail, emerged before the 19th century from Buddhists who believed that the creature inhabited the Himalayas. And a Yeti is basically like a, a snowy Bigfoot. Yeah. In fact, in the 1920s, the term abominable snowman mm. uh, became popular. Bumbles bounce. The Buddhists depicted the mysterious beast as having similarities to an ape and carrying a large stone as a weapon while making whistling sounds. So he's just, I picture him, you know, he's got a club with a stone on the end of it and he's swinging it and just kind of whistling as he trudges through the Himalayas. Now, because I know you and I know your soul, is this Yeti very Jimmy Stewart-esque? Because the way you just described him Made me feel like he was all like, whoa, 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 I'm I'm a Yeti. In 1832, an explorer who had uh, his account of trekking in Nepal published in the Journal of the Asiatic Society of Bengal spoke of seeing a tall bipedal creature covered with long, dark hair, which seemed to flee in fear. Okay. The term abominable snowman, of course, as I mentioned, that was developed in the 1920s, 1921, in fact, following a book by Lieutenant Colonel George Howard Burry called Mount Everest in Reconnaissance. Uh, Popular interest in the creature gathered pace in the early 20th century uh, as tourists began making their trips to the region to try to capture the Yeti. They reported seeing strange markings in the snow, and those reports continue to this day. I don't like the term abominable snowman. It's just so negative. What has that Yeti done to you? Where it's like, ugh, can you even believe that weird gorilla thing? He's an abomination. It's terrible. It's rude. So our story begins in the 1850s. (laughs) When rumors began swirling about sightings of a nearly seven-foot-tall woman in the Caucasus Mountains between Georgia and Russia. Now, witnesses described her as having all the characteristics of, quote, a wild animal and covered in thick auburn hair. One particular area was pinpointed as having multiple sightings. She had been seen lurking in a remote region in the Republic of Abkhazia. This became quite an event in the village. People, that's all they talked about, as you can well imagine. Absolutely. And this went on for for quite a while, in fact, decades. So in the 1870s, an expedition was organized and funded by a local merchant. Experts believed the wandering wild woman was captured by the party, who subdued and shackled her in the mountainous terrain. Oh, jeez. Not cool. Now, again, they said she was between six foot six and seven feet tall. She had a very different shaped head than we as modern humans have. She was described as having all the characteristics of a wild animal. She appeared to be half human, half ape. And the most frightening feature was her expression, which was pure animal, wrote one Russian zoologist. They named her Zana and kept her in a ditch surrounded by sharpened spikes. 
Now, she was sold from owner to owner until she was sold to a local nobleman who tamed her and kept her on his estate as a servant. Is it possible that it was just a person who had been living out in the woods? Also, is it possible that you don't just get to capture things and say, this is mine now? (laughs) I mean, that's like gross. She was imprisoned, it said, for two decades by the local landowner. She was described by witnesses as being, quote, very big, strong. Her whole body was covered with hair. During her captivity, she was witnessed outrunning a horse. Oh, girl. And swimming across the treacherous Moscava River, even when it rose in, quote, violent high tide. She was incredibly muscular. She slept outdoors and ran around naked until she died on the estate in 1890. Also while in captivity, Zana had at least four children fathered by local men. What? And some of her descendants are still alive in that area to this day. I don't understand how she's like animal in her face. Yeah. Um, and yet you're breeding with her because mm-hmm. it sounds to me like she wasn't consenting. So was Zana an actual Yeti? At the time, most believed so. Another theory by uh, a group of uh, Russian geneticists who have been obsessed with the Zana story say they think that she might have been a surviving Neanderthal. I have a quick question. I'm sorry to interrupt, no. but okay. So can you remind me what year this this took place? They captured her in 1870. Okay. And we have we have proof that that this was a real event Mm -hmm. and yeah okay so enter our geneticist from the university of oxford according to channel 4 in the uk which did a documentary on this brian sykes professor of human genetics at the university of oxford he has carried out a series of dna tests on saliva samples taken from the descendants of Zana. To answer the riddle and establish what species she belonged to, he uh, tested these samples from six of Zana's living descendants. He also recovered DNA from a tooth taken from the skull of one of her sons, whose name was Quit. This work is highly specialized, and Sykes is the guy to do it because he was the very first geneticist ever to extract DNA from an ancient bone. Oh, wow. So he's got some cred. He does, though I will say I struggle to believe a scientist whose last name is Psych, but I'm a child of the 80s, so you know. Sure. The results came back, and they were fascinating. Complex, but fascinating. First, they show that Zana was, in fact, not Neanderthal, no more Neanderthal than the rest of the modern humans are. Europeans and Asians contain between 2 and 4% of Neanderthal DNA, which almost certainly is a result of interbreeding at the time. She was no more Neanderthal than we are. But the big surprise in his results was that Zana's DNA is not Caucasian at all, but African. Her son Quit's tooth sample confirms her maternal African ancestry, and the saliva tests on the six living descendants also show that they contain African DNA in the right proportions for Zana to have been genetically 100% sub-Saharan African. But the remarkable thing is her DNA profile doesn't resemble any known group from Africa. Whoa, really? The most obvious solution 
he says, that springs to mind is that Zana or her ancestors were brought from Africa to Abkhazia as slaves when it was part of the slave-trading Ottoman Empire to work as servants or laborers. Now, the Russians ended slavery when they took over that region in the 1850s. Some Africans did remain behind. So, was Zana one of them who was living wild in the forest when she was captured? Well, that theory wouldn't explain her extraordinary features. Right. And these were described by reliable witnesses. Now, they carefully studied the skull of Zana's son, Quit. And Sykes believes that there are some very unusual morphological skull features, such as very wide eye sockets, an elevated brow ridge, and what appears to be an additional bone in the back of the skull that could suggest ancient as opposed to modern human origins. Wow. Sykes wrote a book about it. It's called The Nature of the Beast, in which he uh, talked about Zana's ancestors. They could have come out of Africa more than 100,000 years ago and lived for many generations in the remote Caucasus region. Really, we don't know how what their generations would look like, would we, if, if they were not... Not part of any uh, current group of Homo sapiens, yeah. Exactly. So maybe they, they lived longer and... Could be. This is just really neat. Zana could be a remnant of an earlier human migration out of Africa. If correct, Zana could be evidence of an unknown human, quote, tribe dating from a distant time when the human species was still evolving and whose ancestors were forced to remote regions like the Caucasus Mountains by later waves of modern humans coming out wow. of Africa. Russian geneticist Dr. Igor Burtsev said in that uh, Channel 4 documentary a few things that might back that theory up. He unearthed Coit's skull. Now, that's, of course, Zana's son. son. Originally in, in 1971, and a few years later showed it to a group of anthropologists in Moscow. They were, he says, quote, amazed and identified a mix of primitive and progressive or modern features in the skull, kind of like... They didn't say missing link, but it was certainly a combination of primitive and progressive skull features, lacking the scientific tools that uh, Sykes later had at his disposal. They could not take it any further. Now Sykes is able to propose this theory with some degree of confidence. Wow. Here's what he thinks. He thinks it is possible that Zana's ancestors came out of Africa about 100,000 years ago and lived in the remote Caucasus Mountains undetected, and that there may still be a remnant of this previously unknown group still existing today, and that the sporadic sightings are what account for the myth of the Yeti. That's incredible. And 100% does not give you the right to put them in a ditch surrounded by sharp sticks. I got my information from the Daily Mail, Channel 4, Cool Interesting Stuff, Lab Roots and Tech Times. It's almost like the lost world where they find a primitive culture that has been isolated mm. from the rest of the world and they evolved and changed differently than we did and had no contact with anybody other than maybe once in a while somebody would see them walking across a snow-capped mountain. Lurking. Lurking, as we say in Maine. Lurking about. That is really fascinating. Are there pictures? Yes, there are. This is after she had been, quote, tamed 
and she's wearing clothing and looks like a regular person to me, but it's hard to tell because you can't see that she's nearly seven feet tall. Yeah, she just looks like a person. She looks like a person. There's an artist's rendition of her before she was uh, photographed. That is fucking awful. Not, that looks like... You remember that Jesus portrait a few years ago that somebody, they hired someone terrible to re... Restore. Restore, yeah. and they did an awful job, and now he looks like a potato? Yeah. That's what that portrait looks like. Kind of, yeah. That is horrendous. You're, you're dead on there. We'll post that picture, but uh, there you go, the story of Zana. She's lovely, actually. Could she be what we called yetis? Just a um, previously undiscovered branch of the human tree. I love that idea. I love that idea, except for all the terrible shit that went along with it. Right, yeah, the whole spiky pit and having children by four different people, probably against her will. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not a good thing. But yetis are real. And now... That thing in the middle. For many generations, there's been a strange tradition that takes place every year in High Wycombe in the UK. Each year on the same day, the mayor is marched out into the town square and then weighed in public. His weight is then compared to his weight from the previous year. If he's put a few pounds on, the townspeople see this as a sign that he's been indulging at the taxpayer's expenses. So the crowd then loudly boos him. The Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... 
Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Have you noticed the subliminal messages we hide in these liners? Damn right you haven't. This is The Box of Oddities. Got an email from Noel or Noel. I'm not sure. Um, it says, hi, Kat and Jethro. Love the show. Just finished up the episode. Sheets of mouth skin. Kat mentioned she frequently burns her mouth and peels the skin off. Well, I caught scarlet fever once from one of my students. Scarlet fever involves a rash that rotates around the body. Yes, the entire body, including your private parts, your mm. mouth and your armpits, everything. And once the rash is gone, your skin peels. Ever since that, whenever I have a fever, my entire mouth will peel. What? I was also born with nine extra teeth as a kid. The four closest to the mouth hole on the top and bottom, plus a random one that grew right in the middle of my mouth. Quick question. Uh, the, the term mouth hole is confusing to me. Because do you mean the one on the outside or the one on the inside? Well, I, I envision it as the mouth hole leading out to the world. Okay. My dentist had my x-rays hanging in his office until he retired. Oh, that's sweet. Anyhoozle, this box was right up my alley. Love you both dearly. Your show is a highlight amongst the chaos of this year. Flying my freak flag proudly from Sacramento, Noel or Noel. Most Noels that I know of are the E-double-L-E. This is just N-O-E-L, mm. so I'm going going with Noel on this one. Thank you so much. And what you got for me? Mm. What do you think of when I say Kazakhstan? Um, cheese. Cheese? No, I, I, I think of cheese no matter what. Yeah. <gasps> uh, I think of um, Borat. <laughs> exactly. Really? Yeah. Um, so, and it's interesting that you were right in this general region. I mean, Kazakhstan is the world's largest landlocked country. Yet it maintains a very small navy. It's one of the most populous countries in the world in terms of ethnicities. Wait, one, it, it has a navy and it's it's landlocked. It does. 
It does have a small navy, yes. And they just, what, sail around in the ponds in the park? They're all like, ah, don't mess with our ponds. Can you imagine being a pirate from Kazakhstan? <laughs> you just, you'd have to come to the lake yeah. and get in and then be like, give me your boat. Arr. No, get out of here. People from Kazakhstan probably make terrible pirates. You don't know that. No, I don't. Maybe they'd make great pirates. They just haven't had the chance to practice. <laughs> Either way, 131 ethnicities are represented, um, from Kazakhs to Russians to Germans and and so much more. One of the really interesting things about Kazakhstan is that many people respect their uh, historical traditions and are very enthusiastic about keeping them going. And the birth of a child has always been a very significant event. There's a Kazakhstan proverb that says, Once a pirate, always a pirate. Once a pirate, always a pirate. The end. Thanks for joining us on the Box of Oddities, everyone. Keep flying that freak flag. Wait, you're looking at me like there's more. <laughs> there, <laughs> the proverb goes, House with the child, fun and happiness. Without the child is similar to a grave. And... People buy into that. Like, they, they're very child-focused. In fact, there are many customs and rituals associated with uh, the birth of children, the raising of children, etc. And that's what we're, we're talking about today is some of the really fascinating and interesting traditions revolving around children. We'll start with the obvious Shildahana. That is a holiday that's arranged when a baby is born. During that day, friends and relatives come with gifts and congratulations to the home. And in the evening, they sing songs, play instruments, they have fun. It's, it's a big celebration, which I would hate. Well, if it's got kids and singing, yeah. <laughs> I would too. No. It just seems like you've already done a lot of work that day. Sure. I don't want to have to also host people. <laughs> I don't want to push something out of me and right. then also worry about hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> but um, it, really, it's not like, you know, mom is hosting this party and has to worry about making sure everything's taken care of. It's really in celebration of her and the, and the birth right, of this baby. Right, right. Part of that celebration is kalsa. It is a meat food that is specifically prepared for the mother that gave birth to a child. It's brought by friends and relatives, and it's it's about making sure that she recovers from oh, birth quickly. She nice. regains her health. Sure. It's a sign of respect and attention as well. Like this is uh, this is a special day for you. Here's this meat pile. Sorry, your vagina's sore. Here's a casserole. Yeah, I mean, yeah. sure. Besik Salu is a holiday arranged after putting the newborn in the cradle. According to custom, the first time the child is laid to the cradle by the respected grandmother, it's usually the, the oldest maternal figure gotcha. in the family. Gotcha. The ceremony is accompanied by the traditional song, um, which has a name. And when the child is laid in the cradle, the grandmother gets a gift. The grandmother does? Yeah. Okay, So that sure. was her, it was her honor to to do it and mm -hmm. and that is a celebration and a tradition all in its own. It's the first time the baby is put in the cradle. I see. What about when you give a baby a name? 
Of course there should be a celebration. Wow. Do all these celebrations involve food? Most. Wow. Yeah. Different types of food? Yeah. Or can you recycle? Can you I like mean, use like leftover casserole? I'm sure that there are Because it seems some... like these things happen in rapid succession. Probably. Yeah. For sure. But I, I mean, I, I know that... I mean, I'm just thinking... I don't know. Maybe some families co-sleep and they don't get put in the cradle soon. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> My thought, though, is the baby's born and you bring a casserole and then they clean the baby off and put it in the cradle. You have to Do you have to leave and get another casserole or is that one sufficient? And if so, how large does it have to be? See, I don't, I don't think that generally the cradle celebration would happen the same day as the birth day. Okay. It's just like you want to just toss a baby in a cradle as soon as it's born. Just, just, yeah. just prop it up with a bottle. That's what I always do. <laughs> I got TV shows to watch. Asim Koyu is the name of this newborn baby name celebration. Parents and relatives mostly choose names of famous people so that the child will look like the person that they admire. They think if you have that name, then you'll grow to look like that person. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, In this case, the right is given by respected people uh, to bless the, the newborn. Want to apologize up front for the pronunciation of all of these names, by the way. We should just have a general blanket apology <laughs> that we run at every at the beginning of every show. And you know what? Is I I looked to see if I could figure it out, and there were several of these that had no like pronunciation videos, mm. or there was no help for me. None. No. And oftentimes, even when there is, I feel like I still struggle. But anyway, uh, Kirkinan Shigaru. This is a ritual performed on the 40th day of a child's life. I like how you said that quickly and with authority. Yep, that's right. As if you believed 100% that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Part of this celebration is bathing the baby in 40 tablespoons of water, as well as the first haircut and nails being cut. Oh, really? P.S. Baby nails being cut is one of those things that makes me want to crawl up inside of myself and die. I cannot. uh. And I've heard that some mothers like bite their baby's nails off because it's easier and less likely that you'll you'll cut them. Yeah. Um, I don't like that either. Well, you you you. But I don't have any babies to take care of, so I don't have to worry about that. You don't even clip the dog's nails. We have somebody do that for us. I bring them to the vet to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not doing that. They don't like it. They don't like it, so I don't want to do it. And I understand. I'm just grateful that you clip yours. I really don't, though. <laughs> Most of the time, I just snag them on something and they rip off. Yeah. And that's... she's, she's, we, we have a closet full of tattered sheets <laughs> because of her toenails. <laughs> I just have what the thing is. I have weak nails, and so they, they, they snag and tear a lot. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not good. At having nails. I'm not good at being a person um, most of the time. You're ridiculous. I just I just kind of flop around until eventually something happens and I go, oh, sorry. Shredded some more sheets. <laughs> it happens, sweetie. It's okay. Tusaukasu is the ceremony that is held when the baby takes first steps. Now, I know it's a big deal for people around the world when this happens. Uh, but, of course, in Kazakhstan, there is a ceremony. It's held when the baby takes its first steps. Uh, the legs are then tied with thin lace. And that is to be cut by an enthusiastic and honorable person. 
the baby's legs. They tie the baby's legs mm-hmm. up. Yep. And okay. Yeah. See, that's I would do that too, but there would be no cutting. <laughs> I would be like, no, you're gonna hurt yourself walking around. Yep. That, none of this. That ceremony would come right before the cradle laying ceremony right. in your world. <laughs> Baby's born, tie him up. Oh, I, many years ago, I asked my mom why it wasn't okay to like just turn a laundry basket over a baby and put some books on it and like leave for the day. I'm like, what's it going to do? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, you you absolutely cannot do that. And I was like, well, I mean, what's going to happen? Apparently things can happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like if it's carpeted. You were a problem solver even then. Even then. Yep. You had an engineer's mind right yep. from the beginning. Yep. What can't a pile of books solve? Not much. All right. Anyway, it's called Cutting the Fetters, and there are songs that go along with this specific ceremony so that the child is able to go through the rest of their life on their own legs. It's more of a metaphoric tying of their legs than a than a real, like, Okay. Sh- 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 All right. You're not going anywhere. And then it continues with a feast. Let's see you get out of these handcuffs. Right. I'm just celebrating my roots. The ceremony is so that in the future, the baby can walk confidently and run fast. And then you have a feast. And I know that you like that part of it. Mm -hmm. There's also a ceremony uh, regarding the cutting of the umbilical cord. Again, it's a respected woman in the family or a wise grandmother that does this ceremony. After that, the woman gets presents, the, the umbilical cord cutter. The woman who cuts off the umbilical cord in this situation is actually called the kindik shishi, uh, which is the name of the ceremony as well. She's also kind of considered like the mother of the child. She's a co-mother. Hmm. Or maybe like a godmother type uh, situation, possibly. Later, she can come to the home where the child grows up and ask for anything, and no one in the house can refuse. <laughs> wow. Kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah. Two months after the birth, you're like, oh, man, we made a mistake with this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps coming in. Uh, hey, guys, I got to borrow 40 bucks. Yeah. You have to give it to me. <laughs> it's the rule. You have to. It's the rules. <clears throat> There's a holiday organized in honor of the beginning of the school period of the child. When they reach the age of seven, parents start the education and schooling. During the ceremony, the elderly bless them to study well. The kid gets presents. And the main purpose of that ceremony is that the child is starting their life that is their own, that they're becoming their own person. They're doing their own learning. They're growing. A whole new world is opening up for them. They are no longer being babied. They are becoming their own people. One of the really interesting things that I learned about the treatment of boys and girls that is different in Kazakhstan is that girls are treated as guests in their home. Because girls often will marry very young in their communities. You're my daughter, but don't get too comfortable, okay? Well, it's it's more of a position of respect. So the daughter will get the head of the table or the the seat of honor at the table as if they are a guest in the home. I see. Young men are supposed to eat the ears of animals. <laughs> okay. Seems seems I'm a sorry, little It was just really fun to say. A little unfair. Well, it's Your daughter gets the head of the table, and the son gets to eat butcher offal. 
The boys are supposed to eat the ears of animals like sheep in order to become more careful. Somehow, <laughs> the tradition has evolved so that eating of the ears equals you being more careful. Because I guess boys aren't careful. They're goofy. They bang up their yeah, knees and yeah. stuff like that. See, so the, you got to make them here, eat. Here, eat this. Eat this. Oh, it's awful. You better be more careful from now on. You think that's it? You think that's yeah. what it is? All right. If you're not careful, you'll end up eating more sheep ears. Meanwhile, uh, young girls are encouraged to eat the tongue of the animals because that will encourage more diligence. A bride at a wedding is encouraged to eat a brisket and <laughs> An married, brisket? <laughs> married women eat the neck bones. Now, well, I just, in my mind, envision a crowd gathering around the uh, the bride and groom's table, just egging her on to eat an entire eat, brisket. Eat, eat. It's like Adam Richman style, like man versus food. Oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. That's the mental image that I'm holding right now. I love it. I love it. There are actually a lot of really interesting foods, uh, and they are interwoven into the Kazakhstan lifestyle and their traditions, um, which I would like to explore a little bit more and maybe maybe talk about at another time. I think the idea of just exploring traditions um, from different countries mm. alone would be a fascinating topic. Well, that's one of the reasons that I want to do a second podcast. I feel like... Yeah, we don't have time for that. We... <laughs> <laughs> When we become independently wealthy, we're going to have an amazing travel podcast. <laughs> okay. And you're going to like it. I yeah. want to go to these places and I want to learn about why they eat the neck bones. I understand, sweetie. I get that. I just want to watch them eat I want to go to Kazakhstan. Neck bone. I want to go to Moldova. Do they eat neck bones there too? I don't think so. I don't know much about Moldova, honestly. I know they've got a bunch of bunkers. That's the extent of your knowledge of Moldova. Well, also, they have this really neat architectural feature in their capital city, uh, which is two apartment buildings that are built symmetrically. And they look exactly the same, but they're separated by the major roadway. So it's kind of like they come up like two right angled triangles and you drive through them. And it's really neat. Oh, wow. The end. <laughs> no, that's literally, okay. that's pretty that's, much what I know about Moldova. That's it. Okay, good. Um, listen, guys, we're not too far away from doing our virtual live from the basement show. We were supposed to be working on it yesterday, but I got sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kat was sad yesterday. Sorry about that. <laughs> She's happier today, though. Doing better. Thank you. Keep an eye on social media to find out when uh, we will be doing that show. And while you're on social media or the interwebs, if you will, you can go to uh, our website, theboxofoddities.com. And uh, there are uh, lots of uh, resources there for you freaks. We have uh, our merch page. Our neck bones. Box of Oddity neck bones. And you can also support the Box of Oddities there by becoming a member of the Order of Freaks. All the information's right there. You get all kinds of bonuses. You know the drill. We'd love to have you on the inside. All the details are there. All the links to our social meds. Uh, we have, you may have noticed, started TikToking. It is uncomfortable for us as we are old. Please help us. Theboxofoddities.com. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. 
we ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.